So hello and welcome to the Pinch Magic podcast with me, Rebecca Anuin. So today I am joined by Molly Rima and I am delighted to share her wisdom with the world because she has been instrumental, if not pivotal, in my own journey. I can't remember how many years ago it was, but it must be, my little boy is now nine, it must be seven, six, seven years ago that I first got introduced to Molly. I think first of all, through her story, God, she's blushing. She's right in front of me. Listen to this. She doesn't know I'm going to be doing all of this, but I want you to really savour Molly's magic. So I think I first came across Molly for her red tent training. And I think I did the red tent training first. And then I became very aware of, she does these beautiful, um, story goddesses, which are like resin goddesses that you can hold in your hand and just carry with you. So I always have one for, I carry in my pocket and my altar. And I've got, if I remember later, I'll share a funny story or a powerful story really about my dedication as a priestess with my Caradwin statue in my pocket. Um, And I signed up to do my Caradwin priestess training, knowing that I wanted to do one in person. And then Molly offered a priestess training and I was like, oh, I have to do hers too. And whilst I will be forever grateful for an in-person, like held in the sacred space of Glastonbury, I really felt that my priestessing had a depth because of Molly's wisdom and teaching. So, and the other thing, one more thing is if I don't love Molly enough, if you've ever, ever had a session with me, you know, at the end of the session, I always draw an oracle card and I always use women's runes. Every class I teach and everyone's like, hey, what are those cards, Rebecca? It's women's runes. And I love the simplicity of them. I love the story of them. I love that they are the the jumping off point. So with all of that said, go and find Molly Rima of Bridget's Grove. Instagram, Etsy shop, you'll be obsessed with the Etsy shop, as is everyone. Molly, welcome. I think that's the longest intro I've ever given anyone. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I want to say it was like 2016 is when I feel like you took the training. Uh, but maybe wow. it was even earlier than that. I'm not sure. It might have even been earlier, but it's definitely been a long time. So we sort of, yeah. And we yeah. sort of intersect in one another's spheres and have some of the same people in our respective audiences and get yeah. each other's newsletters. And I just did, I I followed your recent month of magic offering oh, yeah, yeah. Doing, which really um to me is i i do 30 days of goddess which is a monthly uh, pra- uh, well a daily practice that takes place each month and so the month of magic really folded in nicely <laughs> to that work and it's just nice to see how you continue to you know do the little the intersecting dance across the miles um with one another's work <laughs> it's amazing well you are the reason i have a 16 foot yurt in my garden that is decked out with 300 meters of red material you know <laughs> a friend amazing. came to visit i know a friend came to visit once and she opened the door and she was like oh my god because it's like stepping into a vagina and i was like i was going for womb space but you know we'll go for that too <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like French and red. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) talk to us about because I love that your kind of um, bio, I suppose, starts off with priestess, mystic, and poet. And one of the things, and I'd love to start with this actually, just diving straight in, is one of the things I take away from your training all of those years ago, five, six, seven, however many years ago, was the idea of priestess as vocation rather than simply archetype. Um, And you absolutely walk that path of a vocational priestess. And the other phrase that I took away from you was like the idea of candle wax priestessing. Mm -hmm. 
of you know the priestess is often the one cleaning the candle wax off of the carpets at the end of the ritual so where did that idea of priestess as vocation rather than archetype come through for you and when did that like change the way that you showed up in the world with the work that you do Okay, so that has that's probably a long, a long and winding path, which <laughs> is I uh, so I started in priestess work. Like it took me a while. It took me a while to call myself a poet. It took me a while to call myself a priestess. And so I was leading circles and holding retreats and rituals for probably about three years before I would claim a priest. Like priestess wouldn't really have been a title that I would claim at that time. And what happened is my community started to refer to me as their priestess or they, so And that's when the seed was planted that to me, we can have the inner priestess archetype, you know, we can embody an ideal of the priestess, but in priestessing, it's responding to a community need, like it's a Mm. relationship between the person and the community. And so uh, an archetype or an embodiment, that's like a solitary practice or a personal practice. Priestessing to me is in vocational priestessing has this community aspect. And for a long time, I focused the community aspect on actual face-to-face, you know, with people. And I would have felt like, you know, that was, that was, you know, where the magic of priestessing was in face-to-face work. And then luckily I've branched out and have seen that you can do really powerful priestess work virtually as well, as you already Mm -hmm. know from virtual red tent work and those kinds of things. I feel like I was a late adopter to virtual work in terms of circles and realizing that the power of the connection that can happen there too. So it was when I started to respond to the call that I saw priestessing in this community crucible, so to speak. Mm. At the time, I was working on my doctorate in ministry degree, and I was coming up with a dissertation topic to write a dissertation. And I had been going to originally write about like body, like the sacred body. And I started out my work in birth and breastfeeding support. And so my original dissertation priest uh, dis- dissertation topic was about like the sacred body and like the goddess, you know, the goddess in the world and the goddess in our bodies kind of embodying embodying the sacred and those transitions of our lives. And it just wasn't really coming together. Like I was kind of, I had notes saved. And what I realized now is this was this threshold moment for me. It was the doorway. Am I going to stay in birth work or am I going to walk through the door into what's next? Am I going to walk through the door into what's next? And what's next was priestessing. It was not staying in birth. And so birth will always have a special place in my heart. But I feel like we need to, I feel like sometimes, uh, like birth work can be very powerful and potent and transformative, but I think sometimes it's even, it's a little safer. So you stay there, you really want to crack the door open to the whole range, all the rites of passage and all the possibilities, but you sort of stay in birth because it feels like safer or maybe more socially acceptable or and even it's not very socially acceptable, but you still have that. Also tendency. in the UK. <laughs> right, yes. So, so the door like cracked open and I was going out. I had this, this practice of going down to the woods every day. And um, I was walking out into the woods and I suddenly, it's like I had a lot of experiences 
entering the woods, again, was a threshold where things kind of drop into my open hands. And that happened with woman runes. I, I went to the woods. I started drawing the runes and writing about them. I went through the woods. I crossed my threshold into the woods. And I basically like heard it's vocational priestessing. Like that's what you're mm. going to write about. That's what you're going to study. And so I did my whole thesis or my whole dissertation was about priestessing. I focused on the United States. So priestessing in the United States as a vocation. And I had a group and I like basically studied vocational priestesses for about a year. I did, I uh, did research, asked questions, gathered data on like, what does vocational priestessing look like in the U S and that's where practical priestessing came from. Like, how are we actually mm. using this? Cause it's, it's wonderful and powerful to like embody the archetype and to like sense the inner, the inner priestess, but how are we really like bringing this into the world? How are we living this? Because it's way different. And you know, this too, theory and practice are two very different things and it can be very, very clean and tidy, <laughs> very clean no and dramas tidy. or extra emotions there. <laughs> exactly. And everybody like does exactly what you want because they're like your imaginary people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's a huge difference between theory and practice. And so for to me, to me, vocational priestessing is the practice. And the theory is powerful and magical and can be very personally transformative, but it is in the practice that we mm. really walk through the fire. <laughs> so what does like your life as a practical priestess? And I love that. That was the name of the course. Um yes. practical priestessing. Um what does what does that look like a day in the life of like practical priestessing for you outside of like maybe holding the sacred circles? Mm -hmm. Right. So, and that, and that also, again, took me a while to see the many ways in which priestesses priestessing is expressed in my life outside of literally doing an actual circle. Mm. <laughs> and so what I have seen is that we can priestess to our communities, you know, through wor words. So a poet, a poet, Poetess priestess can be possible um, are the work that we do with. So I do. Okay. I'm going to back up a little bit because now I'm talking too fast about too many things. So in an average week, I have a, I have a devotional community on Patreon called the goddess magic community. And we have a devotional rhythm there that really shapes like the whole week. And so for me, practical priestessing includes recording a ritual, a mini ritual oracle card video at the beginning of the week. It includes doing a live check-in with the Facebook group. And I usually have, you know, quotes and things about living our magic that I've shared with them. It involves, I do an, I'm creating an oracle card deck. And so they get an oracle card and that's original to that week. And um, I do a live online circle and I write every day and share. And it take, took me a while to see the writing work that I do and express as a way of priestessing as well, as a way, as maybe you would call it like, yeah, inspirational or mm -hmm. devotional. Devotional. They, yeah. Yes, it's a, it's a expression of devotional work that then reaches out and touches other people's lives. So pretty much every day in some way to me involves priestessing to either my online community or to my face-to-face -face community as mm. well. So I do have a local, I have a local Inanna circle that I'm doing right now. And then I continue to have seasonal retreats and rituals and red tents and things like that. But that and, and, and. of my work, and that, <laughs> that piece of my work is much smaller than it used to be. Like that, mm. that was that because I have developed so many other ways that I reach out to, 
to people. And that really started with the pandemic when I was thinking, I remember when everything like kind of shut down and I was like, what can I do? Like, what can I still give people? What can I still give people that will like help them? You know, what can they hold Mm. in their hands? You mentioned the story goddesses and they really are like this devotional object that you can hold in your hands. But I was like, what can I reach through my computer screen and give people that will help their hurting hearts right now? And I made an Oracle card, like an um, affirmation card deck. And I sent it out with my newsletter and was like, they, they can, then it's like, I'm reaching through the computer screen and giving them something that they can hang on to, that they can come back to, that they can, that can support them. And I think that was the doorway for me into seeing like, oh, like this, this digital work is priestessing too. This digital support work that I do mm. every day, day in and day out, that that work of reaching out and trying to give people things that they can really use. I really come back to that over and over. Like I want people to be able to use these Tangible. things. Really, yeah. yeah. And I really want the magic that I like see and experience in the world is something that permeates through my everyday, like throughout my everyday. And if I can reach out in some way and help other people sense that permeation through their lives, then that is you know, kind of like, that's my work in this world. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really think for me, that is like that priestess vocation energy. Yes, to having in, I mean, being in circle with actual people where you can hug them and hold their hand and like yes. them in the cheeks. So I've had people yes. go, oh my God, Rebecca, you're real. You're not just like this digital mm-hmm. thing. And it's like, I really am real. <laughs> and you know, th- there is a special kind of magic about that of like sharing really soup is. together and having tea and not being constrained by, oh, we've got an hour or whatever it is. And it's just like, you know, things might go a little bit longer. And that, you know, there there is nothing that can like take away from that magic. And reaching people that I can sit in circle with that I wouldn't be able to travel to absolutely phenomenal too and for me it's like that priestess role is like holding space and I love what you're saying about like in the pandemic it's like how can I still hold space for people how can I invite them into my world with that magic and for you it's the oracle cards because one of the things I found during the pandemic is like I am absolutely not a religious person my family weren't even overly religious (laughs) say my town where I grew up in was not overly religious at all and what I do think religion religion gives people that we need to find ourselves is ritual. It gives mm-hmm. people a set of practices that even if they don't fully believe, they can say a prayer and feel connected. They can go to a church. They can be in congregation and feel part of something. And when the pandemic happened, it was like, oh, where are my practices? I don't have anything to hang on to. And people couldn't even go to church. You know, even if even if you weren't a churchy person, you might have wanted just, just to go past just in case. And yet we couldn't. And what I love about your work so much is it is that tangible ritual. Even if it's like holding the story goddess in your hand and saying an affirmation or looking at the cards or pulling an oracle card a day, it's just that, that moment of connection with self. And I'm always quoting you, who and I was like, sake the sacred pause, where I heard from Molly Rima, who got it from Joanna Powell Colbert. And it's like it's like that lineage part. And for me, I would say most of my work has been informed by the idea of a sacred pause. Um and that's what your work for me, that's what your work embodies is that moments like everything that I see you do is the everyday magic mm-hmm. you know I'm all Absolutely. for high magic it's amazing you know big ceremony mm-hmm. cloaks staffs all of it but we can't sneak that into our day <laughs> it's, we have to make time for that whereas yes you can just pull a card you know when you're at your desk at work or 
stir your tea in a clockwise direction saying a affirmation it's like those yeah so when did you realize the power of the everyday magic for you yeah that's so that is and i really do like i a lot of my work hinges around like daily practice and mm. daily engagement with your with your spirituality with your practices with the um you know the touch of the sacred all around you and it really I really encourage people like to infuse their whole day with little bits, you know, little bits, little doorways, there's little doorways into practice everywhere. I call them devotional mudrooms. You know, there's like, you have a mudroom in your house where you, it's a transition point from place to place. I don't actually have a mudroom, but people usually know what they are, where you leave your shoes and you kind of like transition from somewhere else inside the house. And I feel like we have these pockets of presence or devotional mudrooms like in our everyday where it's a doorway into practice. It's a doorway into presence. It's a doorway into the sacred. It's a doorway into magic. And those moments are all around us. And so one of the things I tell people sometimes is that I feel like, and especially because that's one of the things about digi the digital world is we can feel like everybody else is living a more special and magical life than us, right? Like you can look at it and you're like, well, she's rolling around in the rose petals, you know, like, or, I want her or, cloak or wafting yes, on the beach exactly. in the this, yeah. Yes, she's got this beautiful cloak and like, or even she's got this powerful circle and they're all standing around the bonfire and here I am like craving this type of connection. And so there can be a tendency to either save your magic for later, for like save it for later, save it for perfect or save mm -hmm. it for special. And I say, don't save it. Like, don't save it, savor it. And you can have, you can have a big, I, I recently did a, a vow ceremony in the context of a class that I was teaching or taking. And I got, I bought my, I draped myself in blue silk. I bought myself or my husband bought me yellow roses. I got a special ring. I really like went all out with it, but that's like something that you do maybe a couple times a year. Not if we feel like we have to have a giant ceremony or we're not doing it good enough, we mm -hmm. will find that our spiritual life kind of starves. We'll just be longing. We'll just be feeling the longing. We won't actually be doing it. And so, so I often say you don't have to be any more special or, or magical than you already are. You don't have to be any more special or magical than you already are. You can start right now. And at the same time, you don't have to be any less special or less magical than you already are either. Like go ahead and let that magic shine, you know? So the, um, so I'm all about the infusing the day with magic. And for me, so this, that was a little bit of a side note. <laughs> you actually asked about the discovery for me, I really discovered that power of daily practice as like a nurturing, you know, soul sustaining, soul fueling act, which I have to say is not an indulgence. I think people get hung up on thinking this is an indulgence or it's a privilege. And it is a privilege to take time for matters of the spirit. But it's also the fuel that enables us to reach out to other people. So if we if we deny ourselves our, our practices or we deny ourselves our moments of magic because we feel like it's an indulgence or like we are, you know, we should be doing something more um, social change oriented or whatever. What we end up is it's just one more starving person, one more spiritually mm. starving person. If we fill ourselves up, if we refuel, if we have a base to support us, we can then reach out and make so many changes and help so many other people because we are fueled. So it's not an indulgence. It's actually it's actually like a you know life sustaining, world renewing act to participate in magic. So I, I call <laughs> I call those moments like soul vitamins. 
just the same yes, way we would absolutely. take our physical it's like our soul needs yes. that energy because yeah, just as essential to yeah. our yeah, just as essential to our well-being so for me i was so i've practiced yoga for years um that's my most enduring and stable daily practice that um but aside from yoga it was same thing. I really, when I was working on my graduate degree, my, my uh, doctorate, I found myself thinking like it's, it was the theory versus practice thing again. So that was, I started that degree in 2011. And I remember sitting like at my altar space and thinking like, okay, like it's wonderful to read about this kind of stuff. Like you can, and you can write rituals and you can read about magic and you can read about goddesses and you can read about herstory and you can read about, um, things, but like, I want to do, I want to feel mm. like, so I have this ideological kind of conception or I have a theology with an A kind of conception, but how do I like feel this? Like, I want to feel this. And so it was at that time that I committed, like, I need the answer is like a daily practice. I need to check in like every day in some way. So at that time, I think I started to, I had like a little set of prayers that I memorized. So I would say them in the morning because then I had like, if, if anything else, at least I had a little moment of pause, a little moment of sacred pause with a prayer on my lips in the morning. And then in um, 2014, I decided to do what I called my woods priestess practice, which was I decided I was going to go down to the woods. I have, a, there's big flat rocks in the woods. And I thought, and I would often, from 2011 to 2014, I would have often gone to the woods and sit there on the rock. And when I would go to the woods and sit there on the rock, I would often have like either, I would see something, I would have some kind of enchanting experience, I would uh, be inspired, I would write a poem, I would learn something. That's where I took the woman runes to write about. I would hear the um, the various things there in the woods and I would speak it into my little voice recorder and then type it up later. Like, what did I hear? You know, <laughs> and I thought I'm going to go to this, this place in the woods every day for a year and I'm going to see what I learn from the same place. I'm not going to instead of and I'm very passionate and I remain passionate about we don't have to go on pilgrimages. We can pilgrimage into our own backyard. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, high magic is wonderful and powerful too. So are pilgrimage. I mean, that's awesome. Like going on an amazing pilgrimage and and discovering things about yourself. Like that's, I'm not trying to take away from the power of that journey, but we can pilgrimage into our own backyards. We really can. We don't have to save it. It doesn't have to be something that only a once in a lifetime experience. It can be a daily experience of pilgrimage into your own heart, into your own body, into your own backyard. And so I thought, I'm going to go down to the woods and I'm going to see what I learn every day <laughs> for me for a year. And so I went down to the woods. I sat on the same rock every day for a year. And what I learned from that is that there's always something new. There's always something mm. to learn. There's always something to discover. And there's always a bit of magic, like no matter what, even if it's the same rock. And that was when it sat, like it settled into me that like true power of a daily practice in which you keep your promise to yourself. You're tr- building trust. You build this trust both in yourself and in the sacred and you're building the trust. And the, it's so the keeping your, your promise to yourself is its own kind of magic. Like it really oh, is. It's the and best magic. People always really, say to me, Rebecca, how do I trust my intuition? And I'm like, you become mm-hmm. a person of your word. 
Because when we start trusting ourselves, we trust the messages and the inspiration and the intuitions because we know we don't lie to ourselves. And lying, sorry, people, it looks like I'm going to go to bed early tonight. And then you don't. You've just lied to yourself. And it's like, Mm -hmm. of course, then it becomes harder. So, yeah, that like keeping promises to yourself, I think, is, again, such a powerful practice. And Mm -hmm. of course, I often say it's like, you know, to eat, pray, love yourself around the world would be an amazing experience, but we don't have to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. it can be that sitting on the same rock every day, but Mm -hmm. keeping that promise to yourself. So, yeah. And that, oh, so I, I fell. uh, So in, um, and that's where my walk with Persephone book really came from too, Mm -hmm. is that, that urge to, I needed something to be different. Like I needed some kind of change, but, and I needed it without having to run away from my existing life. Like I wanted to eat, pray, love. I wanted to eat, pray, love, but I didn't want to like ditch my whole family and run away. <laughs> so I'm like, how do I, yeah. How do I get, how do I get this without like running away? How do I rebuild my soul? How do I like reconnect? So how did running- you then without running away? Oh, well, I had a, there, I have a, whole list of ways that I did that um, and I think I did successfully like like uh, engage there was a um I had some some steps for like rebuilding rebuilding the soul and um one of them was like being alert for magic every day mm. uh, listening to the elements um I'm trying I'm trying to think of what my list was I'd have to go. I'd have to go get it. I have a list of all. No, the but it, it sounds like basically that that energy of being present and building yes. relationship, being relationship yes, with the exactly. world around you and with your own inner self, which is really what we're all getting to. to. Yes, mm. remembering to laugh and like find joy. I mean, I had all these little pieces, but in the process, I fell and hurt myself, and I broke my foot and I t- um, tore ligaments in my leg oh, that took um, a year to heal. And I couldn't get to the woods. I couldn't. I I couldn't get out there because the ground was too unstable because my leg was hurt, mm. and I couldn't go on walks. And these were the foundation of my spiritual experiences. Had been walking. You're literally walking with the goddess. You know, literally yeah. walking. And you walk and you say, "Oh, look what's in bloom. Oh, look, there's a monarch butterfly. Oh, look, there's a bird." You know, that's how I touch into the to the world. And when I was injured, I couldn't do that anymore. And I actually crawled out onto my back deck and like sat there, like looking down at the woods, crying. You know, like thinking, like I've lost my magic. I've lost my magic because mm. I can't get I can't get to it. I can't get to the place where I have relied on so heavily to refuel. And then I thought. This is my opportunity to stretch and to grow. Like, where else is my magic? If it's, if I can't get to the woods and I can't draw it up from the stone and the sky and the trees and the birds, like, what, what do I have? And so that was another turning point or doorway or initiation, Mm. even into what other devotional practices are there that fuel the spirit. If you can't get down to the woods and sit on it. I had something incredibly similar without the injury, thank mm-hmm. goodness. But when COVID came and it lo- locked us all down mm-hmm. and we weren't allowed out of our houses initially <laughs> outside. And I suddenly, I was like, oh my God, who am I if I'm not playing in ah. the woods? Who am I if I'm mm-hmm. not hiking to find all the changes in the season? Who am I if I'm, conf- I mean, luckily I've got a garden and things like that. But it's like, who am I if I'm just confined to footprint of my house and it was that I mean I knew that the world would open up again but just in that moment it was like oh my god who am I it's like how do I find that connection because it's quite 
easy for me to feel connected in the woods with like say the butterflies and you know the trees and the air and just being out in the elements and it's something like oh if I'm housebound it's like Mm -hmm. how does that change and it was only a momentary thought but it was really quite profound because it's like oh yeah that magic isn't as we know it's like not out there but it really Mm -hmm. hammered home that actually that magic is like in you and even if I had to stay inside my house forevermore hopefully never um Mm -hmm. it was like oh no that's okay I can still find the magic I can still be connected just Mm -hmm. here so yeah (laughs) that's that really did so that that then informed the second half of my walking for 70 book that experience Mm -hmm. of being forcibly grounded you know I was really (laughs) forcibly grounded and I'm like I don't want to learn this lesson like this isn't something I want to be learning you know Give me a a lesson I do want. Exactly. Yes. Give me what I want. I do not want to be personally grounded. But being forcibly, literally like grounded uh, did open the doorway for me into considering devotional practices. And we talked very briefly Mm -hmm. at the beginning about those micro practices or those mini devotional practices that you can infuse into your life. And so that's instead of that's when I started to think about like, what are the other ones? You know, what can Mm -hmm. I do from sitting on a deck or looking out a window? And so I, I would come back to like my, you know, to my body, to offering the three breaths of presence or to offering a prayer with my actual hands, you know, like on my own skin. And, and then that's really when I started writing. I mean, I've, I've written for years and years and years, but writing as a devotional practice and as a way of dialoguing with divinity, so to speak, like that really started to take a, a primus, primacy in my life then, because you always, you know, you always have your breath and you can always have, there's always, you can always have a prayer or a song, you know, like that's something mm-hmm. that can't taken away from you, whether it's silent or spoken or spontaneous or memorized, it can never, it's something that can never leave you. You have your breath and you have a prayer. And those are practices that can accompany, you know, you know, they can accompany you into the emergency room. They can go to bed with you. They can sit there with your injured leg. They can, you know, comfort a friend. Those are the things that you can have that you have. And so I really started to work more with um, prayer as a devotional practice and writing as a devotional practice at that time, because I couldn't, I couldn't skip through the dandelions anymore and like, you know, smell the wild plums and yeah. So is that where 365 Days of Goddess comes from? That, so 365 Days of Goddess is the third book in a series of goddess devotionals. So right. the first one was written during the time of my injury, which was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And the first one was called The Goddess Devotional. And then I have a second one that was called Whole and Whole, that is called Whole and Holy. And the third volume is 365 Days of Goddess. And 365 Days of Goddess really came out of my daily devotional practice that I created in the at the very end of 2020 as a daily, really focused on daily practice and creating daily practice that fits your life, not your imagined life, not the ideal life of somebody else <laughs> the on one you're waiting for. Yeah, yeah. Not the one you're waiting for, the life you have right now. And so I created, it was one of, another one of those, I call it uh, just like um, the woman runes, the Scottish lightning strike of inspiration. It was right prior to this, to the winter solstice in 2020. And I suddenly like woke up one morning and I thought, 30 days of goddess, I'm going to do this like daily devotional practice and I'm going to offer it in January of 2021. And I thought I was going to do it one month. It was going to be one 30 day (laughs) daily practice. 
And (laughs) the idea was simple. There's a prompt for each day. You write a prayer or offer a prayer. You have a sacred space that you visit and you learn from kind of like the Woods Priestess practice. You learn from the sacred space every day and like write down your observations or just experience the observations and your moments of magic. And I had looked at 30 Days of Goddess as kind of a, I was treating it as a kind of a launch event for the second Goddess devotional, the Whole and Holy book. And I thought this would be like a celebration event of having published Whole and Holy and we'll do this 30 Days of Goddess for January. So now, spoiler alert, it is now instead of, that was January, 2021. So now we're up to, we've just passed, um, I guess, 850 days of continuous wow. daily practice. So I have yeah. not missed a day of my practice since for 850 days. <laughs> okay, so and here's a question then. How do you, how would you give yourself permission to skip a day? You know, if like, well, things changed and you were like, oh, yeah. you know what? that doesn't feel right anymore. Would you give yeah, yourself I don't, permission or do you feel I like all these people are waiting? I, <laughs> I know. I don't think I could really because, and I've, and I've thought that I've had a lot of things happen and I'll be like, and I'm like, okay, I did not do this for 840 days to stop now. You know, I did not do this for 800 days to stop now. Like I'm going to yeah. keep going. And luckily, because the daily practices that I encourage and that I teach and share are designed to actually fit your life, there is always something. So I Mm. say that when you feel that moment of longing, when you feel that pang, like I wish something was different, I wish I was feeling, I wish I was feeling something, I wish I had some more magic right now. That's your doorway right there. That's your doorway to open the door and look out and see if you can see a bird. That's your opportunity to go out and see what the sun is doing or the moon is doing or what the wind is doing. Or that is your opportunity to take both your hands and just lay them against your heart and take a deep breath. And that can be your practice. You have not missed a day. You have not missed a day. If you go to bed at night and you think, oh my goodness, I didn't, there's nothing that, you know, fueled me spiritually or sustained me. That is your invitation. Hands on your heart. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yes, to put your hands on your heart or lay a hand against your forehead. Or even I'm a big fan of cupping your face in your hands and saying, you are magic. Like, mm. that's it. You are. <laughs> and so it was from that daily practice, which kept going on. And I have um, I have a oh, journal for each days. month. Yeah. I have a journal for each month of the year, uh, each month. Um, like a daily practice journal and a, a set of cards and everything that goes to the month. So that's actually where 365 Days of Goddess came from is in the process of all the writing that I did have done over the last 800 days of daily practice, I thought there's a there's another devotional book here. Yeah. So 365 Days of Goddess is a daily devotional reader. So there's well, a prayer for everyone. Like you said, I did 30 days of magic and that was an undertaking. Yes. <laughs> I was like, gosh, you know, I was like, I did think about doing it for longer. I was like, you know, 30 days is a good amount of time. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. That's and, I didn't know I was making, I thought this was like one good idea for one month. I didn't know I was making like yeah. a lifetime commitment for eternity, you know? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and, and even mine were just like stir your cup of tea. I mean, there weren't yes. like mm-hmm. big, big things. There were things that hopefully people could like really tap into. So I mean, tenth book, three hundred sixty-five for goddesses, yes. three hundred sixty-five days of goddess. That's amazing. Um, well, and that's what I what I wanted to create to offer to people is like it's yeah. almost like it's almost like kind of ready-made. You know, you get the book, you can open it up. What does it say for May 9th? Boom, here you go. Like there's your there's something right there. It's a, it's a touchstone. It's an opportunity yeah. to reconnect. It's an affirmation of belonging. I really wanted to, I'm back to the practical persistent thing. I really want to create things that people can use, not just think about or wish for, but things that they can use. It's really, really important to me. <laughs> and I, th- I think that word you used, touchstone. 
I love that because mm-hmm. for me it's always like back to center back to center yes, it's like what is absolutely. it you can do and sometimes it is just like hand on heart br- and take a breath that's absolutely. it absolutely doesn't mm-hmm. have to be more fancy than that but it's like bringing that intention to go oh, okay just to cut out the noise and and drop everything um, absolutely so your uh story story goddesses the yes. little resin how how tall would you say they are for people listening they're about four inches about four inches they're about four. yeah mm-hmm. where did they come from as in oh, like, where okay. was the idea for them to come from because when I first got mine again all those years ago I brought a Caradwin one because yes it was the very early days of Etsy and stuff and it was like googling Car- Caradwin like woo, mm-hmm. let me I want something to like I wanted something where I could connect with Caradwin and your little it was a purple goddess with a silver belt mm-hmm with a tiger's eye and a little cauldron on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm buying that. That's Caradwin. Like, I was there. Um, mm-hmm. And they were, at the time, most of them, I think, were solid colour. Now, mm-hmm. you are fancy. There's That's all much sorts fancier. of one of a kind. There's all this, oh, they're just absolutely sensational. Um, but where did the idea come from? Or what was it? that? Because, I mean, they're almost... I don't mean to use this word like in a bad way, but they always have a cult following. You know, people are there. <laughs> oh my God. It's like five minutes until Molly's doing the next update on Etsy. And uh-huh. they're poised, ready to add everything. <laughs> you know, that there is a hysteria around it. <laughs> you know, it's like people want those goddesses. But mm-hmm. where did that idea come from for you? Yeah. Okay. So it, um, like many of my stories from today has a long, there's a, there's some long roots that go with it, which is that, so I guess you could say, again, it starts to, it starts with birth and back dating mm. back to like my birth work in that I, so I've always had a love for like the goddess of Willendorf, like a little goddess mm. that you can hold. And that's one of the things I say about like you, when you see devotion, small devotional pieces of art compared to like giant temples, right? Like, so giant temples are also amazing and everything, but sometimes you need something that fits in the palm of your hand and that you can tuck down your shirt while you're carrying babies across continents, right? (laughs) Like that's, that's the kind of devotional work that, um, that like a mobile society needs, but also that like women, I think are drawn to create, what can I hold in my hand? It doesn't need to be the most impressive. It doesn't need to be the biggest. It doesn't need to be the grandest. It doesn't need to be the most awe-inspiring, but I need devotional work that I hold in my hand. And I wrote an essay a long time ago called um, The Palm of My Hand, which was about like, is she held in the palm of my hand or am I held in the palm of her hand? You know, like which... The, the answer's both. We're in the palm of her hand and we're holding her in our hand. So I've always been interested in like small devotional pieces of art or have been for a long time. And during my pregnancies, I created various birth art things for like um, altars and that kind of thing. And um, I experienced um, a uh, multiple pregnancy losses that were very challenging to my, they're very, they were, you know, physically and emotionally traumatic and a very grief. I had a lot of grief in my, um, in these pregnancy loss experiences. And I started making little clay goddesses to like reaffirm and rebuild trust in my body, in my spirituality, in my path. So I had previously done like, um, 
needle felting and I'd done some other things, but I started to make little clay goddesses because I needed something I could hold in my hand that could remind me that I could still do it. And so I created a little pregnant goddess first as like a when I was pregnant after following pregnancy loss, I was like, if I have this little goddess that I can like hold, it's part of like rehoming myself back into mm. this identity and into this capacity. Like I can do this. And so I had my little goddess that I would hold and I made a little series like of my life's journey kind of in this experience with pregnancy after loss, approaching the birth of my, my rainbow baby. Um, my, my only daughter was born after, after two losses. I have three boys and one girl. And uh, so she was born after those losses and those goddesses really helped me. Like they marked the journey, but they also like reaffirmed my, I call them like my statement of faith, you know, like I can do this. And uh, then people started to ask me for them, like, can you make these for me? Can I, you know, can we buy them? So I started to make them for sale and I, and I, I, I quickly became like, I can't, I can't hand sculpt everything all the time. So we learned about resin casting and we make silicone molds and we do that. And, uh, but I got so many requests for customization. They wanted other options. You know, they wanted one. Could you make one that has a cauldron? Could you make one that has, you know, whatever. And so I was thinking about it and I was thinking like, maybe I could do something like put something on their head or something like that. And I had a friend who said, what if you put something on them that had a little chain? Like, what if you attach something to the goddess with a little chain? Because I was trying to think of how I could mold everything on that everybody wanted. You know, like, yeah. this one's got footprints and this one's got sunflowers and this one's got labyrinths. And, and oh like, how am I going to do yeah, yeah. Yes, how am I going to do all this sculptural work? You know, like, what am I going to do? And she said, what if you attach something like on their brow with a little chain, like a, an attachment, a, like that represented something? And I was um, sitting in bed with my final baby. He had, I, so I nursed him to sleep and he was sleeping next to me. And I suddenly like, again, like kind of saw in my mind's eye, this little goddess with a little chain around her waist instead with the representation. And I thought that would be like infinitely customizable. That would be infinitely without having to sculpt something new every time. And so I literally like called to my husband and was like, bring me my clay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I sat I love that. Again. Those people yes. like, bring me the tea or the, you yes, know, the I, water. Yes, I'm having I want my, my clay. <laughs> exactly. I'm having like a priestess emergency here. Like I need clay immediately. <laughs> so I sat, I actually sat in bed with a sleeping child and sculpted the original goddess while he was sleeping next to me. And the whole time I was making her, I saw, I know I keep saying that I see things, which I mean, this is the right podcast to talk about seeing things. <laughs> totally is, yes. That's right. So <laughs> As I was making her, I literally saw in my mind, like a parade of all the other goddesses that have gone before. Like the, I saw the Nile goddess and I saw that mm. Inanna with the hands on the breast and I saw the goddess of Willendorf. And I was like, this is the like goddess, the lineage, you know, kind of like coming through me into this other form. And uh, somebody commented on my sculptures once and said echoes of Mesopotamia. And I was like, yes, that's true. Um, so this was the echoes of Mesopotamia kind of coming through me. So I made the little sculpture sitting there in bed with him. And um, and then that's where that's where she started. <laughs> she started from that, that moment of needing something that you can hold in your hand, like a devotional piece that you can hold in your hand, 
also needing something that was infinite, infinitely customizable and that would speak to people in for many reasons, in many capacities, because they can speak with color, they can speak with stone, they can speak with their charm. They're like infinitely customizable. And then also from that lineage of all those people from times gone by who have gotten, who have made something small that they can carry with them. And I think also, again, from that practical point of view, that's all pretty indestructible too you know yes, pretty I'm, I'm sure i'm sure you can break them it's not a challenge people but they're waterproof mm-hmm. they can bounce off the floor you can drop them yes. on the floor and you know they're gonna be okay so yes, that was my story yeah, they don't they Sorry, don't God. withstand dogs they don't withstand dogs very well or like oh, no, run over actually but otherwise <laughs> that's pretty much yeah <laughs> so so dogs and being run yeah, that's that's fair. Actually, I'm thinking about my dog. It probably wouldn't last very long. Um, yes, but so, in general, they last. Very, they very also, steady. They also, um, and they're meant to be, again, you see this theme running through. They're meant to be used. They're not just meant to collect dust on your altar. You know, they're meant mm. to go. I have right now, I have four in my pockets and one in my shirt. <laughs> I was expecting you to like, empty out your bra then and I'm tumbling exactly. out. <laughs> they're, but they're meant to be used. They're meant to walk with you. They're meant to mm-hmm. accompany you. They're meant to be a touchstone. Like you already said, they're meant to be something that you can hold in your hand. Well, my Caradwen with a little belt yes. with the cauldron, she, mm-hmm. when I started my priestess training in Glastonbury, she would travel up and down the country with me and I would put her in a little tin with like each of a, a representation of all of the elements. And that would be my little travel altar that would come with me. And so, um, eight times she had been up and down the country to Glastonbury and she'd survived. She sits on my altar at home. She'd be in my pocket. The day I dedicated after the first year of training, you become a sister of Caradwin, and the second year you become the priestess. So the first year of dedication on the shores of Lake Bala, she's in my pocket where she has been a million times before. I dedicate as a sister of Caradwin in the sacred grove that we had and you know got eaten by midges and all the good stuff. And when I got home and took her out of my pocket, the belt had broken. Mm-hmm. Now... I thought that was really, really symbolic because if you know the story of Caradwin, her cauldron breaks and that's Mm -hmm. when the journey begins. So she's Mm -hmm. creating her potion for a year and a day. The cauldron breaks. The three sacred drops don't end up where she wanted it to be in shoes chase. And for me, the fact that he had been in and out of my pocket for more than a year and traveled up and down everywhere. And on that, on that night of dedication, the chain broke, so the cauldron had sli- uh, the whole cauldron was in my pocket, but the cauldron had slipped off her waist. I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> that is That's most definitely the story. So she she is now without chain, but I still have the chain oh. and the cauldron. Um, but I just thought it was very symbolic that that, Absolutely. like you say, that goddess had travelled with me for all of that mm. time, and it broke on that day as the mm. journey really did begin. So it's like we had been brewing for a year and a day, and for me. It's things like maybe the chain just broke, but mm-hmm. adding that story is the magic for me. It you is, know, it's yes. like it's like you say, I just saw a bird just fly past my window. And I'm like, oh, the stories. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like finding those bits of magic. And I've said this before, but it's like, I love living in a world filled with magic. Yes. And for some people, they're like, it just broke, Rebecca, or it was just a bird. And I'm like, or, <laughs> or it wasn't, or mm-hmm. it's us like stepping into that realm of magic and possibility and awe and wonder. And I just think what an amazing place to live in. There is so much awfulness in the world. 
like, well, what's the phrase you used earlier? You don't need someone else starving. It's like, I can mm-hmm. do so much more for so many more people if I live in a place of awe and wonder and recognition of everything going on in the world. But I can navigate that with more strength than hopefully poise from a place mm-hmm. of feeling more nourished and fulfilled for longer rather than just being another casualty of this world. It's like, exactly. And let's keep going. So mm-hmm. what I used to, oh. no, go on. I was going to say, I used to teach a class uh, in community organizing. And one of the things I used to tell the students is that it requires no courage to be like seduced into cynicism and despair. Like it is, does not require courage to mm. like fall into that apathy and the, and the, um, uh, what what else was it? It you can, do not have to capitulate to a plodding dullness of spirit that like tells you you have all that does is makes one more spark go out, right? Mm. All that does is make makes one more like flare of possibility dim, and so it doesn't help anybody. You know, you can't get sick enough to make anybody else well, and you can't get miserable enough to make anybody else happy. You really can't. All it does is makes one more miserable person or one more light gone out. (laughs) One more person whose light has gone out. And so it definitely does not mean we turn our backs on the suffering that Mm. people experience. It does not mean that we shut our eyes. I spent years working in domestic violence shelters with battered women. And one of the things I said is like, you cannot look away. Like we cannot shut our eyes. We cannot look away and pretend that these things are not happening to people. They Mm. are happening to people. But what we can do is keep our own like fire burning and if we capitulate to that plotting dullness of spirit, if we let that be put out, then all we've done is contributed to one more person's light being put out in the world. <laughs> and I really love what you just said then about the courage that it takes. Because it, actually mm-hmm. it is. Because mm-hmm. you're going to get the, oh, you're just ignoring everything else. And it's like, yes. no, I can do both. You know, mm-hmm. I can fuel myself and contribute to the world and be aware yes. of all of the things. And mm-hmm. showing up with courage or joy or awe mm-hmm. and wonder doesn't mean that you have turned a blind eye it just right. means that you are like making sure that you have the sustainability to keep going because yes you know, with your background mm-hmm. in domestic abuse and I have something similar where you know where I used to work and it's like the burnout rate is so high and it's like mm-hmm. if we just had more of those practices I'm not saying that you know probably shouldn't stay in those you know in those jobs for you know your life but um it's like you might just be able to hold that little bit extra space for people if you are fueled. And it's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason, but you really can't pour for an empty cup. And it's like, I would much rather be fueled by all of the practices and finding the magic everywhere and give from a place of generosity rather than giving mm-hmm. from a place of like exhaustion. And that's that's the way I always think of it in my head. It's like, if you're nourished and fueled, it's like you give from a place of generosity and, you know, expansion. And because you genuinely want to help support mm-hmm. hold space rather than it just being another tick on your to-do list that is just draining you that little bit more mm-hmm. so what yeah, is- i had an audio oh, sorry, go on. i created an audio um a couple of years ago for the goddess magic people on patreon that was called joy as resistance because mm. i really do feel like joy is an act like i i have several poems about like holding our own stubborn joys up like and and engaging in stubborn joy like i am going to continue <laughs> to engage in stubborn joy i'm going to continue oh, to it, i will do it <laughs> these, these lift these fierce and stubborn joys up below the sun because joy is an act of resistance in a culture of despair it it is a, it's an act of resistance in a culture of despair yeah. and what it 
what I hope it does is cracks the door open for more, you know, you, you feeling joy or feeling magic doesn't take that away from anybody else. Instead, it cracks the door open and hopefully invites magic and joy and possibility into other people's lives as well it yeah. it, it helps to crack it's door. like little sun rays just opening mm-hmm. up across yes. the world it's mm-hmm. like if you're nice to someone else they're likely to go and be nice yes. to someone else who's nice to someone else mm-hmm. whereas if you're mean to someone else guess what exactly. that, that ripples out the same doesn't mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. so you have just released your 10th book <laughs> what is next for you oh my goodness um are you taking a breath <laughs> Yes, I or are you like about next? <laughs> yes, no. One of the things that has really been important to me about finishing 365 Days of Goddess is taking a pause to like celebrate mm. that I did it. That it and it's it's very. I have a lot of ideas. I talk about my creative cauldron is always bubbling, and I really want to allow myself to like sink into and savor the fact that I did it. Mm. And one of the things for for me this year that has been really primary has been living my magic. And instead of rushing on to the next project, using what I've already created, like to the fullest, like really using what I've already created instead of like being distracted by the next project. And so I'm sinking into using what I've already created. Uh, But I am having, I am having, um, I am working on some other books at the same time. So this book is finished and I love it (laughs) and I'm really proud of it and I'm really pleased with it and I'm going to sink into it and savor it. I do have um, like five other books that are partially in progress that I'm working on, but my real focus this year is to continue carrying 30 Days of Goddess through the Mm. rest of the year, to continue celebrating the 365 Days of Goddess book and to continue to support and nurture the Goddess Magic devotional community on Patreon with the work that I create for them every week. So that's my focus. And I'm really shaping our work together around this idea of living our magic. You know, like we have all these resources and we have all these tools, but I I get distracted by creating the next thing. Mm. Other people get distracted by, you know, buying the next thing or like you think, oh, I'm going to get this deck, you know, and new decks are amazing, but you're like, I'm going to get this deck and this deck and this deck. Well, are you really using the decks that you have? I'm going to buy this book and this book and this book, but are you really using the books that you have? So my focus really is on that living our magic. Like what do we already have? And I'm big into you know what you already have within you what do you already have out your own back door or in your own front yard but what do you also have on your own bookshelf or in on your own altar space already and how can you use that how can you live that how can you lean into that how can you really go deep instead of kind of skipping from place to place or or thing to thing so my focus is that living our magic I love that because in women's rooms one of my favorite phrases in the book that I just use again and again and again and again is like to savor your own flavor. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? It's like to savor your own magic. Yes. And earlier, actually, I wrote this down and it says, um, your magic is like, you don't save it, savor it. And I'm like, yeah. you're all about that cauldron energy of savoring your own flavor of yes. just really, I've worked with quite a few people recently and it's, and they're like, oh my God, I finally get it, Rebecca. It's like, I get to enjoy my own energy first. And it's like, yes, it's exactly mm-hmm. it. Before you give it away to everyone else or before you're off mm-hmm. to the next thing, it's like, you can just sit and dwell in your own magic and just mm-hmm. experience the magic of who you are. Mm-hmm. So where would you recommend people start with your huge body of work and where could, obviously everything will be in the show notes for where they can find you, but where, where is the place that you enjoy hanging out the most and where, where should they start in all things that are magical and Molly Rima? 
Well, I really think that uh, 30daysofgoddess.com is my website for daily practice, basically. So mm-hmm. if you're interested in everyday magic, if you're interested in daily practice, if you're interested in devotional rhythm, if you're interested in creating small sacred practices that fit your life, then 30daysofgoddess.com is where all that stuff lives. So I have prayer cards that you can print out. I have a 101 series with a printable prayer book. I have a deck of mini rituals, like a 30 card deck of tiny rituals that it's free and you can just get to it from that 101 website um, where you can print out a card to draw every day for your little mini ritual. I have prayer cards. Really, that's a good place to start. I have a daily devotional deck that you can buy that is um that goes syncs up with 30 days of goddess but it's also standalone like you don't i say that just because i've made a lifetime commitment doesn't mean other people have to make a lifetime commitment you know (laughs) it's not i worry sometimes like they sign up for my newsletter i'm like now you have a lifetime commitment but they they do not have a lifetime commitment they can just get the deck it's there for inspiration (laughs) be inspired yeah it's there to pick what works for you and like leave the rest because it's all about creating practices that fit your life so 30 days of goddess is dot com is the best place to go for the daily practice everyday magic kind of and that's three zero isn't it three zero yes yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and to connect with you more do you prefer facebook instagram both is which is there a place where you particularly prefer to hang out i have a facebook group that the creative spirit circle groups Creative Spirit Circle Group on Facebook is a great place to connect. That's a free group that people can join. I am not on Instagram much lately anymore. I'm doing Mm. kind of like auto posting there. So the Bridges Grow Facebook page is more alive or active, even though I have more people on Facebook. And then my newsletter is a great place to, I send out a weekly Friday newsletter with um, usually with a weekly ritual video and other pinches of magic, as you might say, (laughs) other little bits. I usually say scraps of magic, scraps of magic, bits of enchantment. Uh, small stories, <laughs> everyday magic. And so I have a weekly newsletter. And then I also have a bi-monthly 30 Days of Goddess newsletter, which is um, daily practice oriented. And um, so it depends on kind of interest level. But the the weekly newsletter is a good place to stay connected. And then, of course, the um, for people who are interested in a deeper dive into devotional rhythm, then I have the Goddess Magic community on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Goddess Magic. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And all of those links will be in the show notes for you to just Click, click the podcast and click the link you're most interested in. So Molly, thank you so much. I can't wait to see what you're creating next. I think you're the only person who I know creates more than I do. Um, <laughs> so that's some feat. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being here.